On this episode of Deal and Extend, we discuss some of your feedback from past episodes. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 50 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the discourse forums, telegram groups, discord server, and more. We also snag topics from around the network and give you our takes. I am joined this week with my two fantastic co-hosts, Nate, our resident open source knowledge base, and Matt, our gamer extraordinaire. What have you been up to this week, Nate? I've been writing an article. I just finished it this morning, in fact, on data recording, about using Screenly OSE or open source edition on the Raspberry Pi. I had a situation where I needed to set up a device for an organization. I took screenshots as I did it. I always think about these things. And decided that I would write it up for front page Linux, you know, check with Michael first to make sure it's something that would fit. Just never know, you know. He said it would, and I should do it. There's a lot of resources out there for setting up Screenly OSE on the Raspberry Pi. The one really good one out there, but unfortunately, it's really geared toward Windows. Caused me to have to like kind of loop around the internet and find the other resources I needed to make it work for me. Not a fan of that. I basically took all the different sites that I referenced Everything that I used, it's a one-stop shop, and I hate that term, but a one-stop shop, still don't like it, for setting up Screenly OSC for the Raspberry Pi. I would call it one of my more premium articles that I wrote because it's very detailed, step-by-step. I guess it's kind of a tutorial more than an article. I have that on front page of Linux, so I'm sure Michael's going to do his magic, tell me everything that I did wrong on it, and then do his fancy thumbnails that he does. So I just submitted it this morning. It just took me a lot longer to write than I thought because I started the process on Sunday, and now it's Wednesday. So if that gives you any indication of how slow I am, but you know, life things kind of got in the way. But then, you know, as I kind of read through it, well, I don't like how I worded that, and so I rewrote parts of it. And then I'm like, well, I'm missing a little step here that I should probably add. So I added a few other bits of detail. And then I started going down a discovery path of it. What's really neat about this, Screenly, is you can not only just like put pictures and videos up there, you can also link YouTube videos. So I'll actually pull in a YouTube video kind of through a playlist and you know, loop back around. A lot of really cool features to it that I would not have put in the article had I not discovered them in my discovery phase. Yeah, so originally I geared it to be a step-by-step for me to replicate the process again on OpenSUSE. But after completing it, I determined it was good for any Linux distributions thanks to snaps and flat packs. Universal packaging has made it available to basically everybody. It's a great appliance. You can turn your Raspberry Pi into a very useful appliance. It's really nice. And if you're looking for like a very first Raspberry Pi project, like a picture frame kind of a thing, you could definitely do that. The web interface for managing it is really nice. It's a real great project. Sounds like it. I keep meaning to get a Raspberry Pi, but I just have never seemed to get around to it. There's so many really cool projects that you can do with them. I don't understand why I don't have 50. Actually, I just bought two more. Don't tell anybody. Keep that a secret (laughs) between you and me. Don't even tell Matt. Yeah, nobody listens to this, so you're good. Too late, Nate. Rats. Matt, what have you been up to? I was given two laptops that I have no idea what I'm going to do with. Those are the best. (laughs) Right now, they're going to be my nuke and pave distro testing machines because currently I don't actually have a distro test machine because I don't distro hop anymore. Oh, you don't distro hop? No, I don't. I've pretty much settled on what I use and what I don't use. So I understand. I have only been on OpenSUSE for about 10 years, so I kind of get it. Just kind of? Just kind of. You know, I mean, you did mention last episode that you do have an unhealthy obsession with it. Almost. Almost. No, 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 no. <laughs> Verbatim, your words. 
you have an unhealthy obsession. You know, when I listened to the episode, I didn't hear that. I somehow totally missed that part. Selective hearing. <laughs> that is a thing. I am curious to jump around on some different distros that I haven't tried in a long time. So I'm going to see uh, how that goes. And no, one of them is not OpenSUSE. One little issue with the Wi-Fi and it just all comes crashing <laughs> down for you, huh? Yes. That's the one item in the House of Cards. I got it. All right. I'll make sure to file a bug report and attach your name to it. <laughs> it's like, it's been your constant thing for like two years. <laughs> I'll just put, there's one guy in the world that doesn't know how to set up Wi-Fi. His name is Matt. So uh, can you fix this for him? Thanks, Nate. Hey, no problem. What are friends for? So, Wendy, what have you been up to? I finally ordered my standing desk and it took quite a while because most of them just wouldn't fit the size that I needed them to. They were either going to be too small and I can't have anything smaller than my current desk. I use every single inch of it and still don't have enough space so it couldn't be smaller than my current desk. My bedroom doubles as the office and the gym and place to shoot pictures and all of that stuff. I needed to have it sit within a certain size range. Instead of buying the whole desk that comes with a top, I bought the Smart Standing Desk DIY kit. So it comes with the legs. I went with L-shape. That way I could get more desk space total. And now I've been trying to decide exactly how I want to build the top. Originally, I was going to go with wood. I have this really pretty stain that I was going to use on it. I used it on the dishwasher stand my husband built for me. Absolutely love the color. And then I was perusing YouTube and came across this channel where they use different paint techniques and epoxy to make countertops or desktops, whatever that looks like natural rock. And I've absolutely fallen in love with the way these look. I've started going through some of their different tutorials and looking at what overall costs will be to make one. And I have to say, it's going to be a heck of a lot more expensive just in supplies, mostly the epoxy. The epoxy is the biggest purchase, like it's the most expensive besides the wood of part of that project. But I think it would hold up really, really well and look super nice. And I can have whatever color granite that I want as my desktop. I've thought about that or even like a black marble. Dark granite or a black marble would be a gorgeous desktop. So you're saying even your desktop has a dark theme, your physical desktop. I like that. Yes, exactly. Both would be dark theme. Dark theme, all the things. <laughs> dark theme, all the things. Absolutely. I've got my desktop facing me, the actual tower. I do not like rainbow vomit. There's a clear panel on my case, but nothing's lit up because I have that all turned off. I need to go into your Piper settings and mess all that up. No. <laughs> <laughs> but according to Ryan, you get like a 20% increase if you have the rainbow vomit. Uh, no. Hey, I do have the backlit turned on on my keyboard and it can do RGB, though I don't have it. What? It's kind of a purple blue and then when you push a button, it turns white and fades back into the purple blue. That's about as flashy as my RGB gets. Oh, the breathe kind of setting that it has. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what it's called. But yeah, so you can tell what button you hit because... It changes color for a short time and then fades back to look like everything else. You would sorely disappoint Ryan by not having the RGB, I'm just saying. 
I'm totally cool with that. None of my computery hardware stuff is RGB. I do have backlit laptop keyboards. That's just kind of a whitish color, whitish bluish color. The only thing I RGB is my house, the outside, so I don't have to actually be bothered by it in my super cubicle. Yes, I am thinking about getting some RGB lights for part of a set when I'm doing the videos for Camera Corner and that kind of thing. But that's all accent lighting and it'll be behind me and not like right in front of my face flashing. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Episode 50 is finally here. I cannot believe that the show has been going for that long. And we've decided to go around and gather up some community feedback, share it with you, and kind of discuss what our community has to offer. I think the best part about doing a community feedback episode we don't have to think about like what to talk about. I mean, the topic's already covered for us. Exactly. And there's quite a few different topics which we get to cover from community feedback. We run across the entire gamut of topics on this one. Got a few emails, got a few discourse forum threads. We've got YouTube comments, a lot of different ground to cover and a lot of different topics. We even got some Telegram stuff that was thrown our way. We got an email from Michael Sedlachik. I think I'm saying his name correctly. If not, that's some more feedback that you can send us. On episode 42, the GUI versus CLI, he says, I'd like to add one comment about what your discussion regarding GUI documentation. You mentioned that one drawback of graph user interface docs is that they change more often than the CLI or command line interface. I think that another important thing you didn't fully flesh out in your discussion is that in many cases, there might be multiple ways of doing things in the graphic user interface. Or rather, there are different GUI interfaces to do the same thing. So this poses another problem. Which one to choose for your documentation? Sure, if it's official Ubuntu docs or something like that, they can go with whatever's the chosen way of doing things there. But let's say you're documenting how to install a package on Arch. As you mentioned, you can use Pamac, but there's also regular GNOME software. There's KD Discover and probably several more I'm not familiar with. Of course, you can pick one, but then you're confusing people who use other graphic user interface software, etc. I'm not saying you shouldn't show GUI in your docs or tutorials. I only point out one other difficulty with that. It doesn't apply to all cases, but it does apply to many. And I agree with Michael in many regards. And that's part of the problem of doing a graphic user interface for solving a problem. There are exceptions. If it's an all in the Ubuntu, then you can do a GUI tutorial or how to whatever for Ubuntu. And that also applies for OpenSUSE and YAST because YAST doesn't matter on the desktop interface. But I think you could actually target your documentation to specific uh, desktops like Plasma or GNOME, which I wouldn't, I don't know why GNOME. That is a difficulty. And I think that's why a lot of instructions are done in the command line. Which is why when I do tutorials on how to do things, I tend to go with a command line because it is the lowest common denominator across Linux, generally speaking. 
Matt, I know you're dying to say something here. I got to hear this. No, I am actually going to shock you and say, I get where he's coming from. I'm not disagreeing either. Know your audience. That is my entire stance on this. Know your audience. That's really what it boils down to. And if you're talking specific distributions, Arch is its own thing. Yes. Nate, you have a total love for Arch. Uh, I don't even acknowledge its existence, but yes, I know what you're saying. I'm kidding. Don't acknowledge the existence of any distro other than OpenSUSE. Not true. What I'm saying is, if you're going to write documentation, say, for OpenSUSE, they rely on Plasma. So show discover if you're gonna write stuff for straight ubuntu regular you know not kubuntu zubuntu not any of the spins or the derivatives show gnome software that's all i'm saying that's the stance i take and know your audience that's all i have to really say about it that's not a stretch of a recommendation or a thing to poke at distributions specifically to look at so generally speaking, when I write something for cubiclenate.com or even the OpenSUSE wiki, I try to put options. So there's a terminal method of doing it. And here's the graphical method I recommend. And those generally are plasma-based as opposed to GNOME-based. If you're running GNOME or you're running some other desktop environment, then you still can fall back to the command line version. So it's not a total waste. That's how I tend to do it. I can't do every possible desktop environment and every possible distribution for everything. In fact, I have a breakdown of different distributions for installing the smart card daemon and middleware and all that stuff. I have instructions I broke down per distribution because the Ubuntu way of doing it is not the same as the OpenSUSE way of doing it. And in fact, the way Ubuntu, where they store some of the libraries is kind of, in my opinion, a little crazy. Somewhere Debian diverged in what I think is a very odd file path for where it stores some of the libraries. I prefer the Fedora and OpenSUSE way much better. So I just acknowledge both and I have instructions for all of them in that regard. Anything that's Ubuntu or Ubuntu derivative basically has the same directions command line wise. As far as the graphic piece of it, maybe I should improve that. If this is the tutorial on a website that is not specific to a distribution. Nate, for you, yours is pretty much distro specific, but that distribution, you can have several different desktop environments on it. I love the fact that you have, this is how I know how to do it in the GUI because this is the desktop I use. But if you're on a different desktop environment here, you can always fall back to the terminal. That makes a lot of sense to me. I wouldn't go around making a tutorial on how to do something on the GUI side in GNOME just because I don't know it. There's no way that I can give proper instructions or feedback help if something goes wrong with the instructions I've done in a GUI application for something else. I guess it is, yes, know your audience, but at the same time, it's know yourself and what kind of help that you can give. Thanks so much, Michael, for this feedback. There really is so many different ways to do things in the GUI interface. It's hard to cover all the bases for every GUI option. Pick one, whether it's based on the distro or based on what you know or that kind of thing, and share those options. Because everybody has so many different workflows, if more people were sharing how they do things in the GUI, it almost might give a plethora of options, maybe overwhelming in options. It could help somebody find the best way to do what they need to do in the GUI if they don't want to use the CLI tool. I think you actually hit the nail on the head right there. More people probably need to contribute to explaining on how to do things that are experts and have specific workflows. Writing for front page Linux would be a great way of doing that. Uh, this is how you, a tutorial and this is how you do this task you know, for this distribution using these tools would be right. great because it may not be exactly my workflow. Let's say it's 80% what I need. It gets me that much closer to the destination, destination Linux. That would be my suggestion. That's really the fix for this. It's not GUI versus CLI. I think that really the answer is both and more contributors because the more contributors there are, the 
better people can find the answers they need. And the better written articles will just kind of surface to the top. With Michael as the editor-in-chief of Front Page Linux, you know it's going to be quality. Next, we've got a fantastic email from Mario Gaspari. Hey, Wendy, Nate, and Matt. First of all, I'd like to thank you for the great show. Long-time listener, first-time pest. Oh, well, at least in an official way. Those are his words, not mine. And you're not a pest, Mario. I love the way he writes. <laughs> it definitely fits kind of your style too, doesn't it, Nate? Yeah, we're basically brothers. We just don't know it. The world can only handle one OpenSUSE fanboy, though. We've had many great discussions on OpenSUSE, but that's a derailment of this email. He continues, I would like to share my thoughts regarding hardware discussion on episode 46, specifically printers. I need to have a printer for both my work and my family stuff. And I used to hate printers. I have fought against inkjet printers for many years, fiddled with all the big brands, ink refilling kits, official and non-official ink cartridges, and it has always been a mess. Not only that, an expensive mess. Inkjet printers are very appealing because they have a very low starting price. Then you're playing with a lot of official ink replacements. Okay, you think it's fair? Oh wait, you did not print in the last month. Sorry, now you have to burn through all your ink to attempt to clean and realign the nozzles. And when luck hits you, even wasting a cartridge on those maintenance tasks won't help. No problem, send the printer for repairs for two weeks and wait, probably even pay half the price of the printer to fix whatever issue it was. Oh, you fool. Did you think you could print some barcodes needed to pay your taxes or anything else? Think again, because a drop of water gets 30 feet close to your printer. Sorry, your ink is now all over the place. Right now, so far in this email, I'm totally feeling the frustration because this is the frustration I've had just trying to buy a new printer at this point. And we're not even, I haven't even tried to fix the one I've got. So yes, I totally feel you on the struggles here. What I think is funny at this point, yeah, those are all things that happen to me, except I use my printer pretty often. So that's not an issue. But I have had like where I went on vacation and then I came back and the printer acts all crazy it decides it's not going to print half of the red or whatever, like on a pass. Also, on top of that, you use some off-brand ink that claims to be as good as, and mm -hmm. then it clogs up your blue. That's where I'm at right now. Yes. And like you, we print all the time. So that's not a worry as far as it not printing properly because we're not printing enough. My in-laws, though, do have this problem. And so... I swear, just about every time I'm there, I'm running some cleaning cycles on their printers trying to get them to print again. So for them, an inkjet really is not the best kind of printer for them to have for that exact reason. Mario continues. So I had enough and I gave up, gifted my inkjet printer to a print and pulled the plug. I bought an HP Color Laser Jet Pro MFE M466DW. Oh my goodness, that's a mouthful. It is fairly compact for a full-featured multifunction laser printer. It has fax scanner, full duplex on printer and scanner. Yes, it can scan double-sided sheets from the automatic feeder. What else? USB ports, mobile print functions, automatic firmware updates, and so on. And that's just the boring part. How about the interesting bits? First, the price was not as bad as it seems. HP usually runs promotions a few times a year. I got mine for 500 US dollars with an extended three-year on-site warranty and two full sets of black and color toners. So far, I printed about 1,600 black pages, 1,100 color, and I still have 40% of my initial supplies left, plus a full set ready to go. And guess what? 
no jams, no mess with ink, no problems with humidity, no issues with barcodes or QR code scanning, and those colors. Wow, amazing. I'm even printing family pictures on both normal and special paper. And I did not have to pay a dime for external printing services since I bought this one. Not convinced yet? Okay, let me use an example that many of you will be familiar with. When you read the specs of RGB calibration monitors, mechanical keyboards, gaming mice, you might think it's a waste of money and not worth it. Then you try one and you see the light. There is just something that input-output device interacts with us humans that cannot be described by a spec sheet. Best money spent ever, right? Same with laser printers. Totally worth it. Would do it again. I'd rather spend less on PC components that are already old when I buy them and invest more on input-output devices that first of all last forever and have a real impact in the way I interact with my computer. So, well, sorry, this was a long one. Brevity is not really in my DNA. Thanks again for the great show. <laughs> Cheers, Mario. Thank you so much for that email, I think you have convinced me to go ahead and go laser. That was one of my biggest issues in thinking in the back and forth between laser and inkjet. I know inkjet has been a royal pain in my butt, and I was worried that a laser, you know, in some ways it might still be because printers are printers, was going to be just as painful to use. And where you've mentioned that maybe you don't print quite as much, sometimes it sits longer and you still haven't had any issues with it acting up or that kind of thing. I will start looking a little deeper into the laser side of things. A family that we're pretty good friends with, she's used a laser for quite a while, but only with black and white, right? She doesn't have a color laser printer. So on that side, She's sung its praises, but I really wanted to hear from somebody that had a color laser, has been using it for a while. One of my issues I had with HP before is if one of the colors was out, at least on the inkjet side, it wouldn't even print black and white. So that was one of the reasons why I jumped from HP over to Epson because I got extremely frustrated with the fact that I could not print stuff. And I haven't had that issue with my Epson inkjet printer, but I'm curious. I am going to check out this printer. The multifunction is a big deal. Scanning is something that happens all the time. Right now, my top feed of the scanner is broken, and so I'm having to manually put in one page at a time. It is taking me forever when I have a ton of stuff that needs to be scanned. And our printer is no longer in my bedroom office gym. It's now out in the living room on the tech shelf. That way the kids have easier access to it. So when I'm in here, like right now doing a show, and my daughter needs to print something, she can just print it now and go grab the paper instead of waiting for me to be done. Well, then also you don't want like a stray kettlebell to strike the printer. That's not going to be good for anybody. Kettlebell swings, they are not anywhere towards tech at all. Okay. Well, that's good. For me, it's generally toward mirrors. So I know that won't make a mess if you know that happens. If you throw it at the mirror? <laughs> yeah, not at all. Right. None, yeah, not, not one bit. And I'll give you best of years of bad luck. That's all. I don't even know where to go with that one, Nate. <laughs> there you go. Well, speaking of some comments that we have gotten and uh, other communication forms, we took a look at some of the YouTube comments that have been thrown our way. Now, this is just a couple of them. There are others. Yes, you can find our content on YouTube as well if you want the video form, even though there's just a wave file attached to it. So the first one comes from the Tech Guy, episode 41. He makes a suggestion, future episode idea. What are you using for to-do list management? 
I'm down over that. I don't think a lot of people will really like my answer, but like, hey, whatever. <laughs> Spiral Bound Notebook. No, actually, uh, you have like Todoist and a bunch of other applications that are available on Linux for that. The one I use is not something that I don't think would fall into the wheelhouse of most Linux users to begin with. I use one on Android called Ike. I use the one on Windows called Task Matrix. And the one I use on macOS is, I don't even remember the name off the top of my head. Same idea though. The ones I generically use are all based on the Eisenhower to-do list mentality. Focus, primary focus, less important kind of deal. Like you, you have your four categories and that's how I do to-do lists. Traditional to-do lists just don't work for me. My brain is not built that way. <laughs> the Eisenhower mentality works far better for me. I'm sure this is not going to be popular at all either, but I actually use K-Organizer for my to-do list. Does the K stand for chaos? No, you need a CH for that. It's linked with my cubiclenate.com email thing that I have through private email. So my calendar and tasks are in that. So I have that no matter the machine I'm sitting at, I'll have those tasks. So it's in the kitchen, on my computer, whatever. But those are like actual like task tasks that I have to do. Like all my goals, if I'm going to be building something, you know, on this day, I'll schedule out. This is what I'm going to go do pick up the materials or you know you can kind of put it together from there. But I schedule out what I'm going to do at what times. This way I don't interfere like school activities with kid activities. This is the time I'm cutting out to do recording deal and extend. So that's on my calendar and the tasks that go with that and so forth. And I don't have a whole lot of tasks with this because, you know, I just don't. There's some things that do have follow-up tasks and so forth. You know, if let's say we talk about something in here, like let's say Matt decides to enable us with a game. What I'll do is I don't have time to look at maybe some specifics about whatever he has been talking about. I'll actually put that in a task on my calendar for a future date to t- check it out. It fits with everything else because then I can also get it on my phone. There's some synergy there, convergence. What other buzzword can we use? lists and so forth, which are not really tasks necessarily, but sometimes it can be like a shopping list. I tend to use simple note because it's really easy to copy and paste something in simple note, add some check marks. And then when I go do, you know, run an errand or whatever, which is on my calendar, I can copy any notes that I took from that calendar entry over into simple note very quickly and then have it on my phone. It's a very quick process. I'm all about quick as much as possible. And so as long as there's a desktop client for it, then I'm actually, I'm good to go. That's what I use. Is it the best? Probably not, but it works darn well for me. I am probably the most old school when it comes to to to-do lists. It is not a tablet, but it is marker boards or dry erase boards. That is what I use. I've got one in my bedroom office gym and then one in the dining room, which also doubles as a school room, whatever. There is not a room in this house that isn't multi-purpose. I've got two, both very large, and I just write things that I need to do on them, take notes that way. I will be even up on the phone as I'm talking to different people and take notes on the marker board as I'm going. Is it probably the most effective way to do to-do list management? Probably not. But unless something is easy to use and across all of my devices, I just can't get into it. There was something that would work on my desktop, work on tablet, phone, all of that stuff at the same time where I could sync between them. That's probably an application that I'd pick up and use for regular. Right now, just a good old dry erase marker and a marker board is how I keep track of things. We all have our own ways of task management stuff, I think, as far as how we approach our to-do lists. Wendy, do I want to ask what your honey to-do list is for your husband? Right now, the only thing I have on his to-do list is helping me make a desktop for my coming desk. I really don't give him much of a to-do list, honestly. For the most part, if there's something that I need done, I do it. There have been times where he has come home, especially when I was pregnant and I moved furniture around that I got in heat much trouble, but <laughs> no patience. I have a hard time waiting for somebody to help me with stuff. So if I want it done, I typically 
just do it. So he really doesn't have much of a honey-do list. Sounds like somebody who is stubborn. He would agree with you. We have another comment, and this one is from Real Cody the Dragon Rune for episode 47, where we talked about whether our proprietary software is good or bad for Linux. And his comment is, I kind of prefer open source primarily because proprietary usually focuses on something outside the average user's use case. One thing I hate about proprietary is having to download a driver and install it manually instead of just having it in the kernel already. Yeah, so installing it manually, I think that process is pretty mind-numbingly easy in Linux pretty much now with firmware, database, all the other stuff that it's kicking around. Distributions have made it mind-numbingly easy to get NVIDIA drivers. Most of them auto-detect them now, and all you have to do is hit install. As far as the stuff being in the kernel, having used AMD, because that's what he's specifically talking about as far as drivers, AMD has its own set of situational issues. It's not as cut and dry as, oh, I don't have to install stuff. You want the latest Mesa, you want the latest kernel all the time, so you therefore get the improvements that are in that particular end of the So it's just like updating drivers, just with more of the core system. <laughs> That's kind of my take on it. I can kind of see where he's coming from, not necessarily with downloading additional drivers or that kind of thing. At least for me, there's a lot of that stuff where I'm on Manjaro that is in the repos or in the AUR, so I'm typically not having to go dig for that. And I still have to do that with printers, as we were talking about earlier, and I've mentioned before. I do go outside of the main arch repos to the AUR in order to pull, and it is official, the drivers for my printer, so I get full function out of my multi-purpose printer. So I'm already doing that for certain hardware aspects, There are some programs, depending on the distro you choose, where you do have to go to the official website to pull those files, which can be a pain in the butt if it is a tar file, that kind of thing. It is a little more work to get installed. If you don't need those programs for a very specific workflow, then he's right. Why go through the extra work when you can just pull whatever you need from the repo? That is one of the best things about Linux is the official repositories. I love them. And pulling software from them is definitely the first choice. Totally agree. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, like he's saying, proprietary drivers especially. I do use proprietary software because we have talked about that. I've just found over the years, since I did have an NVIDIA machine as my primary machine quite a while, NVIDIA would like would be kind of hit and miss as far as like if their next update actually worked well. I just kind of became a little weary of that. Just happen to like much better the open source solution for especially things like drivers. Not a fan of closed source drivers at this point. My way isn't everybody's way. I'm kind of an edge case. Um, No comment, Matt. And driver wise, I agree with you there. Everything except for printer, I use the open source drivers. Well, I do have to pull some of the proprietary drivers for AMD for the OpenCL function. They do have open source drivers for that, but they just don't seem to play very well with Darktable. And I want the open OpenCL support for getting the GPU to do some of the work, right? That's not as important since I did the update to my system a year ago. I still like having that functionality because it really does help with the processing side of things. For the most part, it's open drivers, but there are two use cases where the proprietary drivers are helpful, add more functionality to the system and makes it more usable. It's weird that the proprietary drivers would have the open CL functions. I know. Isn't that crazy? The proprietary drivers have better support for open CL inside an open source photo editing program. Yes, right. but it's true. That also 
makes me wonder too. I thought AMD totally dumped the AMD Pro GPU proprietary drivers. I thought that was like yesterday's news. The Pro drivers are developed differently. They have a different production pipeline for that. Their Pro drivers are more optimized for like CAD and a lot of the other kind of stuff. Again, this is just my general understanding of how they have it. It's kind of like what NVIDIA's GTX, RTX consumer line drivers are to their Quadro line. They have similar features and functions, but they diverge a little bit on their audience. And I don't use the full drivers directly from AMD. There's a package that I use inside the AUR that it's meant to work alongside the open source drivers but it basically pulls the bits and stuff that you need from the proprietary ones in order to get that better use of OpenCL. So for the most part, overall, I'm still using the open source drivers with my AMD card, but I do pull this little piece for the OpenCL support. Speaking as a content creator, the one thing I will say is proprietary drivers, specifically speaking to NVIDIA, has over the AMD drivers is specifically related to OBS. And that is mostly your NVENC versus, I think it's VA API. It's just not good on Linux. NVENC wins every time. And as a content creator, that GPU offloading is a very big deal. Pros and cons on every one of them. Like everything else, Wendy, you mentioned you have to pull in a little bit of the proprietary stuff to really get a full use out of even you know your AMD stuff. So I get where he's coming from, nonetheless. As you can tell, we like to have a little discourse here. Speaking of discourse, one of our favorite places to go to have some discussions with the community. Now, these are just topics that have been started because of the other stuff we've mentioned or whatnot. So we're not going to really dive deep into these, but the links will be included in the show notes where you guys can jump into the forums and participate. The first one on discourse.destinationlinux.network. You should sign up if you haven't. Great place. Friendly people. I'm there. So of course it's great. Why the terminal is actually great for beginners. Ethanol, he wrote that why my grandmother used the terminal and yours should too. Now I read that and I laughed really hard because that's a great subtitle to his title. Kind of sum it up. He thinks the barrier is too high for new users. I say, yes, it does feel that way because in the day of smartphones, everyone just kind of taps their way through. But he kind of goes through these different items. The reason the terminal is great is accessibility. It's the original, the OG dark mode, which I thought that was funny. Verbose output. It promotes literacy. It's a universal user interface. Aliases. Shell scripting is a gateway programming language. And these are all true. He did make one little open source reference in there too, which was my favorite part of it. I like the terminal. And actually, I like a mixture of terminal and graphic user interface. So Dolphin, the greatest file manager ever made, has the option of a, like of a built-in terminal emulator just by hitting F4 and it pops open and then it follows you around when you navigate to different folders and then you can run commands or whatever you want to do right there. It's extremely convenient. I use it very frequently. A graphic hand-holding for doing those terminal tasks. I think that that's just a fabulous way to incorporate the power of the terminal, which is also, you know, mine is black with a very light gray text on it. It looks good. It's easy to use, especially if you use fish that holds your hand even more in using the commands. When you start typing it, if you can't remember an option, you just hit tab, opens up essentially a menu of different commands. So if you just get like a basic kind of here's how it works, it is actually a great place for beginners to start. I'm also not like everybody else. It looks like a very fun discussion. I love the way that he laid out the reasons why he thinks that the terminal is still good for beginners to use. Really some great food for thought. What do you think, Matt? In the minority on that one, that's totally fine. Honestly, at the end of the day, to each their own, just know the audience that you're making those suggestions to. That's all. 
with that, though, we get into something that I would totally never be an enabler of, despite what people always constantly say, even though that I'm the one that started this thread. Hmm. I don't know what that would be. This was specific favorite games on Linux. I did not specify totally whether or not these are native games or not, but we'll go with native games. My two favorite games on Linux, and I really enjoy both of them overall anyway. Dex, hands down, favorite Cyberpunk, 2.5D, side-scrolling, open-world action RPG. Tower of Time, kind of a old-school like Diablo 2 meets like an Icewind Dale kind of game. Got a story focus, but it's also like the loot and grind kind of game. Really cool game. Uh, has a mess with time mechanic that gives you like a slowdown effect. And so you can plan and kind of do a lot of more strategic combat and kind of that kind of stuff. Easily two of my favorite games on Linux, though. And this thread has continuously gone on. And a lot of people have a lot of different games that they like. One was Tomb Raider. Comes to mind quite frequently as far as being mentioned on here. But my question is to you two, two favorite games on Linux. So when you say favorite games on Linux, does it have to be native? Can you play on, on Linux? That I can. I don't care if it's emulation. I don't care if it's wine. I don't care if it's... There's just so many games, actually, I really enjoy playing on my Linux machines. Uh, but I think I'm gonna have to stick with what my answer was on that thread in the very beginning. And I think my favorite game still is River City Ransom Underground. It's a native game. They actually built it for Linux. It's pixely. It's it's after the, the 1985, 86, 87, I can't remember the year now. Maybe it was the early 90s. River City Ransom game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it has that kind of feel to it. Graphic resolution is like that. The violence in this game, RPG beat-em-up, I think, is the, the category. It's so funny. It's not gratuitous. It's just really, really funny. It's funny violence. It's very cartoony, and there's a charm in the pixels. Four people can play at once, so it's a game the whole family can enjoy. I really like it. It's tons of fun. It's a couple years old, three years old now, I think. It uh, harkens back to that nostalgia from my childhood as well, but gotta be my favorite, if we're not gonna count Descent, which, you know, was open-sourced. That's my final answer. It took me a little bit to kind of think about what are my two favorite games? Previously, I probably would have said one of the trucking simulator games. It's been quite a while since I played them. So of my recent favorites, I guess you would say my right now favorites. The first one would be Path of Giants. And I've talked about this game before on the show it is a really neat puzzle game where you've got to move the characters around, get them to the right spots to get them to the end of each little puzzle. I am impatiently waiting for the spring update and a new set of puzzles to come because I've completed all of the current puzzles right now. I absolutely love that game and I can see it being on my list of games to play for as long as they continue issuing updates and new puzzles for it. The second one would probably have to be Candle. And it's one of the only games I have played through and then played through again. I really like the storyline of the game. The graphics are absolutely gorgeous. It is also along the lines of a puzzle game. That tends to be what I'm interested in. It was one of those where sometimes parts of it didn't make sense, right? I didn't know that, oh, I have to go all the way back here to do this in order to do that. It's one that especially your first time through can take you quite a long time to get through it just to try to figure out where you have to be in order to solve the puzzle to get to the next portion. Can't not have Candle on this list right now because I've played it twice. I'm still working on the first time. Really? I mean, it is a long play game. 
thing. You're exploring the world and you're just trying to figure out where you need to be. But it is so much fun. Full price, it's a $15 game. Right now it's on sale again for a buck fifty. I highly recommend this game to anybody who enjoys puzzle games. And like I said before, the graphics in it are just gorgeous. I love them. They have a very whimsical look to it. It's a very inviting game. And that's another game that actually my kids really enjoy too. That's another part of it that makes it a great game is because the family can all play around together. Right? Yeah. I can sit down and play it and I'm not worried about if the kids are coming in and looking over my shoulder because they usually pop in with, hey mom, what about this? I'm like, oh. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's cool. It kind of replaces like family movie night too, in a way. I've done that game with everybody. And instead of watching a movie, we kind of did it together and some controlled the character and, and whatnot. It's fun. It's a fun way to play. Speaking of fun ways to play, Wendy, this particular topic, or actually the next two topics, kind of all flow together, ironically. One of the threads was photography workflow for beginners. What was your take on this now that I saw this on the forums not that long ago? Yeah, I just saw this. So I will be responding to this thread after we record the show. I absolutely love seeing more people getting into photography. Mr. McBride says he's not completely new to photography, but has never developed a photography workflow, specifically one on Lennox. So I'm super excited to see that he's downloaded two of my favorite photography applications, Rapid Photo Downloader and Darktable. If you haven't checked them out, please go do. But a good part of this thread is talking about how you name your images. And that is so important. Even if you're a beginner, having a good naming scheme for your pictures makes it easier to find them when you want to go back and look at them. Which is great advice. And speaking of developing workflows, though, there was a Telegram comment that we got not that long ago that kind of dealt with i would say that there was a difference between being trained for a field say photography and being taught an application in the field and that is the only application right photography is very much one of those most people the industry standard is equates to photoshop i'll let you get into this because this is definitely more your end of the spectrum than say mine alexi on telegram sent me this message at Wendy DLN, your points on DLN Extend 48 about people being locked into being able to use X program. The failing here is not the programs, but the teaching. Instead of being taught the techniques to do something, quite often they will just be rattled off a series of commands to produce a certain effect without any idea of how or why it is done that way. Back in the day when we were taught art, you were not taught oils are the only way to do this, or watercolors give you the best flexibility because they're quicker, etc. For what it's worth, this is not isolated to teach. All teaching is now suffering from this, where teachers no longer teach but coach students through exams by getting them to parrot back stuff without any firm understanding of what they are doing. This is the problem you're describing with people being taught on Photoshop and then finding very hard to use anything else. It's quite simply not actually teaching. It is training someone to do one thing and one thing only. And we agree a lot on this, Alexi. There is a lot of, this is what industry standard, this is how you do it. And I know it's been one of my criticisms of some fellow photographers 
instead of developing their own look and feel, they will buy a pack, right? And then you one click and it does all the editing for you and that is their look and feel, but it's really not theirs. It is a prepackaged editing look that they have purchased and then just flatly applied to stuff. And some may do some tweaks, but I really think an individual photographer's look and feel is in a one click. It is what you do on the light camera side and then your specific editing workflow. If you watched the lug this week, Jill talked about the fact that she has transitioned her students from, she was using an Adobe product, so now she's using DaVinci, still proprietary in order to teach students, but it's because she could do it on Linux think it really depends on the teacher. There are some great teachers out there like Jill that gives them the how and why. But overall, there is a lot of students that, you know, we have to hit these certain tasks. They need to do this by this time. And so some of the how and why gets lost in that instruction or this is the industry standard. This is just what you need to learn in order to be part of the industry. So some of the other options which are viable to use in the field, just aren't being touched on for time's sake or hitting certain learning goals that have to be done. As we create content on the network and stuff, each show goes for its own look, its own feel, its own vibe. And as a content creator, we don't care if you're going to use Ocean Audio, Audacity, if you want to use Adobe Audition, if you were using Audition for a Linux podcast, but hey, each your own, use whatever you want and gives you, you feel is the best identity for your content. When we have a one-size-fits-all approach, individuality within the, the creative sphere is a bit deadened, I think. You don't have a very diverse range of uniqueness that is potentially in photography, video, audio, take your pick. That does matter. Each person that is a creative needs to have their own unique identity to what they do. I understand that it's important to have a base tool to use. Making people feel like this is the only tool to use is kind of short-sighted and narrowed and lack of teaching, I think, in the, in the right way of teaching. You want to teach techniques. You don't want to teach, well, you just use this brush with this because it does this, but it only does it on Photoshop or whatever. That's teaching the program. That's not teaching the art. And I think that's the big distinction that a lot of times that doesn't happen. I totally agree. There is an issue of being taught like how to use a product and not necessarily teaching the reasons behind what you're doing. In college, I learned a particular piece of CAD software. But before I was taught that piece of software, I was taught the design intent and the understanding of why you do something, what makes sense as far as features and, and which features should have priority over other features in a parametric design scheme. If you understand like the principles of what you're doing, and it's really the principles that need to be taught, and then how to implement a tool is good because then you should be able to implement a tool similar to that, like to Photoshop on another piece of software. You understand the the basics of, you know, you, you talk about like noise and pictures and how to get rid of dust and all these other things. So whether you're using Photoshop or, or whatever package, software package you're using, those principles still apply for making a good photograph. And I totally agree that you have to teach the principles and the mechanics will follow. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitward is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. 
Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. There are many reasons why I chose Bitwarden as my personal password manager. One of those reasons, it is 100% open source. You can also self-host your Bitwarden instance. They also offer security audits to make sure your passwords are as secure as they can possibly be. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. They offer an, a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want that premium account for just $10 per year to support this amazing open source software. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Thank you all for such wonderful feedback. We look forward to hearing more from the community. You really help keep this podcast going. Now let's jump into what else you guys have been doing this week. Matt, what game do you have for us? You know, I love how you always make the assumption that I always have. Okay, never mind. Um, I'm looking at the show notes, so I know you have a game for us this week. A particular game I have is called Get Even. It is a stealth-based game in the same vein as the one from last week. It has a really more uh, horror survival aesthetic as far as like the feel and atmosphere there is a run and gun kind of portion of the game later but it really tries to build around atmosphere that dread of getting caught it's a really atmospheric game that i really like it's not the longest game in the world not necessarily the cheapest game in the world either it did get really good reviews though you can usually get it on pretty good sale when steam has it on sale it's usually about like four or five bucks i don't know if it's worth the 30 (laughs) that they want for it normally but if you can get it on sale i would definitely recommend it it looks very nice fairly fun game again not long but definitely one I would recommend playing. Yes, it's ready gold and it plays out of the box because I tried it, so I don't make any recommendations on games for Linux that don't play out of the box. So, Nate, what have you been up to as far as your host-related interests? In the absence of Biddle or Big Daddy Linux Live, I did a low-rent version of Biddle. I called it Cubicle Chat. I had quite a few people turn out for it. I didn't make a big hottie-do out of it. I kind of kept wanting to keep a little quiet so that if it was a dumpster fire, only a handful of people would have seen it. Uh, in this case, about 39 or 40 people would have seen how much of a dumpster fire it was. It went, went pretty well. I enjoyed it. I had fun. I had some real positive feedback from people and wanted to do it again. It's something I miss, you know, doing those Biddle chats. And so I just decided to do uh, just, you know, to fill in for now, my own little thing. I don't see this as being a consistent, I'll do it every week. I'm not a consistent runner like Rocco is. He did start Destination Linux and Biddle. And I like his style, his kind of his welcoming openness to the community. In fact, it is because of Rocco and Biddle that I really got involved in Destination Linux. All the other different various community offshoots is because of him and that show. I like Nerdy Chat because, you know, most of my real life friends, if I start talking Linux, their eyes glaze over. They really don't want to carry on the conversation. So got to get my Linux on someplace. And I thought it was a, you know, may as well do that again. Another person, part of Destination Linux network of sorts, uh, a member that floats around. He's in orbit, part of uh, Biddle, uh, Michael Vash. He actually put the bug in my ear. Kind of like that Star Trek II Wrath of Khan bug going in the ear where you're screaming as the thing is crawling in there with blinking 
Metally Sounds. That's actually really why I did it. It was He kind of pushed me over the edge to do it. I got to give credit where credit is due, you know. Well, I'm really bummed that I missed it. I think it would have been a lot of fun to join. I know the lug fest that we did with the whole network this past weekend was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I, I do like those. So this is kind of a also a light lug that doesn't necessarily meet every week. And next time you do it, I'd love to know. Hopefully I'll have some time to jump in because it's so nice to talk with the community and not necessarily always about Linux related stuff. There's other geek stuff that we're all interested in and just kind of have a kickback chat for a while. I lump food into open source because a lot of times recipes are all open source. That's exactly what they are. You know, you can see the how things are put together. It was a variety of things we talked about. It wasn't just Linux and Linux tech and open source. That kind of covers everything that I care about or that I'm willing to talk about. Yes. <clears throat> anyway, periodically I'll, I'll do them. I, I don't know how often. It just can be a, as time permits. I'll do those. And this time I'll actually announce it ahead of time as opposed to just in the middle telegram. I'll announce it in a few other channels as well next time. So awesome. Wendy, what exciting things do you have to push on the world this week? Well, I'm going to jump on the game enabling bandwagon, not like I haven't already with my previous discussion of games earlier, but I've got another one that I have now finished and it's really rare for me to finish a game three that I can think of that I've actually finished. This is The Inner World. If you look at the Steam page, it says that it does have SteamOS Linux support, but this was one of those games where I have to say, it officially has it, but I couldn't get it to play out of the box with just the base Linux support. I had to turn on the compatibility layer for it and then use Proton 5.0-10 in order to get it to run. And after that, it worked just fine. There was some stuff in the background as I was trying to figure out how to get it to work. And yes, I went to Matt with the issue and he helped me solve the problem. Thank you, Matt. But I was looking at it and for some places of saying, well, I've got a 4K monitor and it was only supposed to work with up to 1080p because this is not a new game by any means. It was released in 2013. The graphics in it are still really nice. As far as gameplay goes, this is another one of those puzzle games. If you're getting a game recommendation from me, it's probably going to be a puzzler, just so you know. So you're once again, like Candle, going around the world, trying to figure out what you need to do to solve this problem in order to advance, to unsolve the overall issue that you're working on. The graphics are beautiful. The puzzle part of it is a ton of fun. My only issue with this game, so I will still recommend it, but the conversations between characters sometimes can drag on forever and I mean that the <laughs> button can be your friend so you can just read them and get through it sometimes like I said the character conversations just take way too long and by the time I was probably three-fourths through the game I didn't actually let any of the conversations play out completely I just read and quickly get through them so I could solve the actual puzzle part that I wanted granted some of the conversations between characters can be fun, but I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I need to talk to you because I have to solve this problem and I didn't really want to talk to you in the first place. So let's just get this over. <laughs> or you were back and forth trying to solve the problem and you'd hear the same thing from the same person over again because you're like, crap, I have to go back and talk to them again and didn't want to hear 
the initial spill. You get to a point where you're kind of quickly getting through the rest of that. But overall, it's a really great game, great graphics, fun puzzler to play. I enjoyed it enough that I've actually started the sequel to it, which is The Inner World, The Last Wind Monk. So it's along the same lines. You're expanding on the previous story. I've already started it. It is a little bit newer, 2017, still the the same graphics feel, really nice, fun so far. Recommending them both for anybody who likes the puzzle games. This one, though, has hints of adult content, right? It doesn't come out and say anything explicit, none of that, but there are some hints to some adult content. So just be aware of that one if kids are in the background, especially older kids that might pick up on some of those subtle hints. Otherwise, great game. That's actually cool. It looks like a really fun game to play. I mean, I'm just looking at trailers for it. I like it so much that I am going to put it on my wish list. (laughs) Now, see, I cannot be called an enabler when somebody else is also enabling. (laughs) I said wish list, Matt. Yes, but... I have not made you buy a game, Nate. Not true. Fake news. I just don't know which game yet. I have to figure that out. <laughs> which game have you bought that I have recommended or how many of them are ended up on the wish list before anything else? So there was the Mega Man game that I made a comment about. How I like Mega Man. It's, oh, did you check it out on Steam? I don't know if it was during a show or some other time. It was but... during a show. All right. So that was you. Did you buy it? It's on the wish list. So there you go. I'm not an enabler. What do you just as much as an enabler? See, uh, uh, mine's still on the wish list. Let's not talk about Candle again. This is true. <laughs> and, and true. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to connect to the social channels, all of the shows, and creators at destinationlinux.network. You can find more information on us by going to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, my podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with other shows from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, Have a great week, everyone.